following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Today's sermon text comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How we doing? Good. It's good to see y'all. Great to see y'all. I want to talk a little bit this morning about community. Um, and and this, is, this is our last uh, sermon in our love your neighbor series, love your neighbor in community. Um, this uh, we've saved this sermon for last because uh, loving your neighbor in community, I feel like, is one of the most important elements of Christian love and one of the most difficult elements in Christian love to actually live out. To actually live out, um, especially in a hyper individualistic culture like the one we live in. Where basically everybody's doing their own thing. They're taught to do their own, own thing. They're taught to think about themselves and themselves first. Um, this is really, really, really tough for this culture, this generation, and the generations that preceded it. This current generation and the generation, and the, and the generation that preceded it, as well as the generation that is following behind it. This is really, really tough for us to grasp. There's a crisis of loneliness in, in, in the world right now. A crisis of loneliness in the world. There is um, um, studies that are being done right now that tells us that the amount of people that say they have zero close friends, all right, none, has tripled in the last last two decades. Zero close friends, triple in the last two decades. That not only not only has that taken place, but but there has been a enclosing of the circle of close friends, if you will. Um, a decade ago, just a decade ago, there were people that would tell you that they had six, seven, possibly even eight, on average, close friends. Just a decade ago, 2005 or so. Now, 2017, you ask that same question, and surveys have done that. You ask that same question: How many close friends did you do you have? Two. One, three at best. What's interesting is that all of this is being said in an age of connectivity, right? I mean, that's what Facebook promised us. That's what Twitter promised us. That's what MySpace promised us, is that now you can be connected to your friends like never before, right? That you can be just a tweet away. You can be just a Facebook post away. That you can be just a text away. But what you find is the more connected we are, the less, the less social we actually are. That the more connected we are, the less aloof or the more aloof we are. We're actually far more isolated now, even in the age of connectivity, than we've ever been. 
As a matter of fact, the Facebook vice president, former vice president of user outreach, the guy, the guy that was responsible for trying to get as many people signed up on Facebook as he possibly could, was quoted just this past uh, month at Stanford University saying, listen, what, we, what Facebook has done to our culture is I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of what I, what I had a hand in creating the isolation that's being created, the loneliness that's being created. I'm ashamed of it. Steve Jobs, the, the, the mega, mega, mega billionaire who, who recently passed, well, not recently, but some years ago passed, he was the founder of Apple. And he was obviously the brainchild and wizard behind the iPhone, which came out roughly about 10 years ago. Steve Jobs, while we were salivating over our iPhones, would not allow his kids to be exposed to that technology. And even the current, uh, current Apple CEO, I believe his name is Tim Cook, I, I apologize if I got his name wrong, but the current CEO of Apple just was recently quoted uh, just maybe a week or so ago, maybe a month or so ago, saying that I would not, speaking about kids in general, obviously he doesn't have any younger kids, but he said, I would not allow my nephew a smartphone because it, because it rushes people to a place that they really should not journey to, which is a place that gives you the impression that you are being social, the impression that you have community, the impression that you have people that you can lean on, people that you can depend on, people that you can lay your head on their shoulders when in reality you don't have any of that at all and you can have 3,000 friends on that thing and not have one friend that you can call when things really get tough. So we are in an age of community or in an age where community is lacking in, in significant, significant ways. As a matter of fact, in London, there is a, what's been created as of recently, a minister of loneliness that whose sole job is to work through the epidemic of loneliness in the UK. Because it is an increasing epidemic. It is a rising epidemic. More and more and more and more and more people in our hustle and bustle lives, in our social media connected lives, are far more isolated in these lives than ever before. So it's with that that I want to set the stage and say that we need community. We need fellowship. We need the church and without it, or without it, great bit of scripture actually becomes non-applicable. You can't even apply a lot of the scriptures that you see without community, without family, church family, without fellowship, deep and abiding fellowship. Tony Moreto, one, a pastor um, over, I, I cannot remember the name of the church. I want to say Solo Day of Glory, but I don't think it's the name of it, so I apologize. But on the East Coast, he pastors the church along with other brothers. And, and he once said that Christianity is personal, but it is not individualistic. That is a myth of the 20th century that has gained too much steam. That Christianity, because it's personal, because it's you and God, because, it's, because your salvation is a personal salvation, right? Nobody else can get saved for you. But because we've accepted the fact that it's personal, we've also brought with that fact that it's individualistic, and it is not. 
Christianity is personal, but it is lived out in community. Does that make sense? It is not isolated. You need, you need community, but you need the gospel to build it, all right? So 1 John chapter 1 says this. It says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, John says to the, one, to the ones that he's writing that we write to you and we share with you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that you might have fellowship with us. Because our fellowship is with who? God. You tracking with that? Make any sense? And so in order to build gospel community, we have to first embrace the gospel. Does that make sense? But in order to, but 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 once the gospel is embraced, let's let's make something very clear. Once the gospel is embraced, you need actual genuine community to live out the gospel. All of the New Testament epistles, for example, were written either to the church with regard for the church or in reference to the church. Even the epistles like Titus and Timothy Philemon, the ones that you look at and you say, that looks like it's written to a person. It's written to a person, but it's always written either for the church or in regards to the church. And so as it's written to that person, Paul speaks continuously about the church. He talks to Timothy about the church and how he should labor as a shepherd in the church. He talks to Titus about the church and how he should labor in the church. And so as he's writing to a person, he's not writing to him and saying, go live your individualistic Christian life. He is writing to a person and saying, this is how you're supposed to labor in God's house with God's people as family. They were not written as individual letters for individual application. They were written as letters for corporate application. In fact, the New Testament gives us 59 different times that a commandment is shared as a one another or each other. And every single time, you have to understand that that commandment is supposed to be lived in the context of community. You can't live in each other by yourself. You can't live in one another by yourself. When you hear the, te- when you hear the, the, the commandment to love one another, which, which is, that's one of those commandments is given at least 15 times out of that, 59 times, you have to understand that that requires people. That requires community. That requires your church. That requires your brothers and sisters in the faith. But when you hear be at peace with each other, it's the same thing. When you hear carry each other's burdens, it's the same thing. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It is the same thing. These one another's, according to the Christian, uh, a Christian author by the name of Tim Challies, reflect the church's call to be in unity with each other, devoted to one another, displaying hospitality towards one another, and encouraging one another. Uh, Challies continues and he says this, quote, the phrases each other and one another found so plentiful in the New Testament speak to relationship. They do not address relationship to God or a relationship to oneself. Neither do they speak to a relationship with the universal church. Rather, they address 
interpersonal relationships within a community of believers, end quote. The one another's aren't commanded to be individually obeyed. They can't be individually obeyed. Their commands to be simply, or their, their commands to only be reflected in pairs or more. Does that make sense? There are commands written to the church for the benefit and the joy of the church. There are commands written to the church for the strengthening of the church and for the witness of the church of Jesus Christ in the world and for the glory of God to be radiant through his church in the universe. Community is, here's a couple of points I want to highlight this morning. Community fellowship is one of the first things God gave his people in creation, and God gave his people in redemption. When you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is the first and only portion of creation that God declares was not good. Man's isolation was not good. I've said it once, and you guys have probably heard me say it, but the way that we give harsh punishment and delve out harsh punishment is putting people in isolation. In prisons, they have community. When they really want to punish prisoners, they put them in solitary confinement and strip them of their community. There's a meta-analysis that, that was done where they took 70 peer-reviewed journals and, and they took, they took an, an analysis over all of those 70 journals. And what they found and uncovered is that loneliness is literally as risky to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Jane Brody, the personal health uh, columnist for the New York Times, wrote an article last month entitled The Surprising Effects of Loneliness on Health, in which she wrote the following, quote, for example, in 2013, I reported on research finding that loneliness can impair health by raising levels of stress hormones and inflammation, which in turn can increase the risk of heart disease, arthritis, type 2 diabetes, dementia, and even suicide attempts. Among older people who reported they felt left out, isolated, or lack compassion, the ability to perform daily activities like bathing, grooming, and preparing meals declined, and deaths increased over a six-year study period relative to people who reported none of those feelings. Did you hear that? On many occasions, we see our older brothers and sisters who are married when they're, when, they're, when, they're, when they're advanced in age by years and years and years, if they lose a loved one at that time, you notice that oftentimes they, shortly, they die shortly thereafter. And we've labeled that, right, death by heartbreak. That's what we've labeled it. But it's a, actually, a, it's, it's actually a, and it's a real thing, but it's actually death by loneliness as well. Losing that companionship. We were not built never intended to be in isolation. However, before we think God was declaring that it was marriage itself that was good for man and not a broader vision of community, you have to know two things. One is, the first thing that you have to know is that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's better that you don't marry if you can. That if you have a gift of celibacy where, where you're not burning with passion and you can just concentrate and commit yourself to the ministry of God, then go do it. Don't get married. 
So marriage is not ultimate in Paul's eyes, and neither is marriage ultimate in Jesus' eyes, because Jesus says that in heaven that there will be no marrying. Matthew chapter 22, when a Sadducee who doesn't believe in the resurrection comes to him and says, hey, if you got seven wives, or if a wife has seven husbands because all of her husbands have died, and she's married one after the other, which husband is going to be hers in heaven? And he says there won't be marrying in heaven, so she won't have one. The bride will be the church. And the groom will be Jesus. Are you tracking with that? And so marriage can't be ultimate in the terms of how we see that because Paul says, hey, listen, if you can get away with it, hey, pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. Marriage in some way is good, whether whether we want to embrace it or not, marriage takes our focus and it puts us somewhere else. And so we have to give attention to it when we can be giving that attention to Christ. Jesus says there won't be marriage in heaven, but but the church will be there. So there won't be marriage, but community will be there still. Are you tracking with that? And so when Jesus or when God says it's not good that man should be alone and he creates woman, don't think to yourself, well, I'm single, so that doesn't apply to me. It does. What he's saying is not good for you to be alone. So he began community starting with woman. Does that make sense? From woman and man began the, began the spread of community. Matter of fact, he gives a commandment to be fruitful and multiply in order to fill the earth. Let's get back to the original point, though, that community is not just a work of creation, but I said community is a work of redemption as well. So on the day that we see the first church launched into history, Acts chapter 2, Peter ignites this movement with the preached word, right? Acts chapter 2, if you've ever read the book of Acts, if you've ever read chapter 2, what happens is Peter, the, the Spirit of God falls down. It's called the day of Pentecost. Spirit of God falls down on the day of Pentecost and baptizes the believers who were waiting and praying and awaiting his presence and awaiting his arrival with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages, all right? The people that were there just watching and gathering, that were all gathered for the day of Pentecost are observing this, and they're saying, what does this mean? What is going on? Because I'm from this place, and he's speaking my language, and, and uh, wait a minute, I'm from this place, and, and, and she's speaking my language, but I know that all of these people are Galileans, so what's going on here? And then Peter begins to share what's going on, and during that sharing, he begins to preach the gospel, And when he preaches the gospel, the Bible says that men and women are saved. 3,000 people are saved. And when those 3,000 people are saved, literally, the next verse says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which some people believe you 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 actually should strip that comma out. In other words, fellowship, through the breaking of bread, fellowship, through prayer. Praying together, eating together. Does that make sense? So in other words, some people say there's really two things that they devoted themselves to. The teaching and fellowshipping together. Through prayer, breaking of bread, being in one, one another's uh, space. Community. Does that make sense? Literally, after the souls are added. That's the next thing Luke decides to write about. 
Because what Luke is showing us, he's trying to give us a picture of what this movement looks like when it's healthy. You tracking with that? What it looks like when God is, when God is moving in the midst of it. And what it looks like is teaching that we're being devoted to and committed to, right? And community and fellowship that we are being devoted to and committed to. Now, the word fellowship there is, is a Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia. What does that mean? It is the ideal of participation. It's the ideal of communion. It's the ideal of uh, koinonia is a word used to describe not just sharing of substance, but koinonia is a word to describe literally sharing life itself. You tracking with that? It is a, it is a powerful, powerful tool that God deploys in his church for his glory. Koinonia, fellowship, the sharing of life. And this passage alone gives us a few ways in which this power was on full display in the early church. In one way, we look at verse 43, and it says, because of their devotion to teaching and because of their devotion to fellowship, awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Deep fellowship, deep sharing of life facilitates an increasing awe on the soul because Christian community keeps the soul's eyes on Jesus. Christian fellowship keeps the soul's eyes fixed on Jesus. We have the privilege of sharing all of our gifts with each other and reaping the benefits of those gifts. We have the privilege of encouraging and exhorting one another. We have the privilege of sharing our insights as we read the scripture and as you read the scripture and as I read the scripture. We all can share those insights together. And in so doing, we are keeping our eyes, our collective eyes fixed and focused on God. John Piper tells a story of a young lady who, who had confessed to the elders that, that she was suicidal and, and suffering from deep and dark depression and that she was in such a dark place that she had even contemplated most recently at the time she was telling that story and sharing that testimony, she had contemplated recently suicide. And so John Piper, along with a friend of his by the name of Tom Steller, um, I believe Tom Steller was an elder at the church at the time, they said to the sister, sister, if you have that thought again, if you have those deep and dark thoughts that would drive you to want to take your life, you call us no matter what time it is in the middle of the night. And so it happened. There was one particular time that she was having those deep and dark thoughts, suicidal thoughts. She reached out to Pastor Piper. She called him and said, I'm in that moment. I'm having that moment. He said, I'm calling Tom and we'll meet you at the church. And so him and Tom went to the church and they labored in the word. They labored in prayer with this sister. And they labored in silence, not saying anything, just allowing her to share her story. And they labored, and they labored, and they labored all night. And that sister said it was that moment that was a turning point for her that she'll never forget. And even now, to this day, she is flourishing, laboring in the church and in ministry for Christ. Community. Koinonia. Fellowship. Fellowship. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It continues in verse 13. Listen, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Did you hear that? For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we share in Christ, and through, and because we share in Christ, Christ calls us to share our lives with each other through exhortation daily. And he says through that daily exhortation, we are holding off hardness that the deceitfulness of sin can bring to our hearts and our souls. There are many enemies of your soul trying to wage war against you and conspiring against you. Evil, unbelief, the trickiness of sin, all those things that causes you to see good in sin that simply isn't there, right? But God doesn't call you to an island to wage war by yourself in these matters. He calls you to a community. He says in verse 13, instead of staying on your island waging war in these matters, he says, exhort one another every day as long as as long as it's called today meaning that till the end of time till Jesus calls you home exhort each other daily that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin listen to this listen to this and let this sink in to your soul this morning your soul needs exhorting and encouragement practically every day to preserve it and conserve it from evil. Otherwise, why would he say it? You tracking with that? You think you can just kind of hang out on your island for one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, four, three months, four months, and be okay? That's not how it works. You have adversaries, first adversaries that are external to you in Satan and external to you in the world and the gravitational pulling away from God that the world oftentimes does. But you have enemies and, and, and adversaries on the inside of you in the, fat, in, in, the, in the shape of your own sinful flesh. And they are both at work to isolate you. And they are both at work to pull you away from the routine of fellowship. And they are both at work to ensure that you don't receive the constant exhortation that you need. And in so doing that, in succeeding in that, they will destroy you. If you've ever noticed how this works, maybe you're at war right now. Maybe some of you are at war right now in this way, but, you, but you've seen this before. I, I, I would imagine that all of us have been, been here before, that, that the enemy slows you down with subtle distractions in the rhythms of spiritual fellowship and communion. And your own flesh wages war against you in that same regard, slowing you down in the rhythm of spiritual, and, and, and spiritual communion and fellowship. It begins with maybe a night of fatigue. It, it, it may be legitimate fatigue that night. Sometimes it's a night of work. It may be legitimate work that night. But what starts as a legitimate excuse slowly begins to creep until illegitimate. Have you been there before? And you start by missing a Sunday. And you start by missing a group. 
and you start by missing this, and you start by and eventually the pattern becomes you miss far more than you make. And all of a sudden, life begins to look a lot more compromised, and you can't quite put your finger on why that is so. And it comes so honestly, right? It, co it comes so honestly and so innocently. Your flesh wages war in your soul by whispering to you, this is exactly what you need, this rest. Don't you feel rested now that you've had this time? Man, you should take more time off like this. This is exactly what you need. You need rest. You can listen to the sermon at home. Those people cook terrible food. Why do you want to even go there and eat at that missional community? You can grab a burger on the way home and be just fine and read that book by yourself, and there is no harm in it whatsoever. Why should you even go back? <laughs> Man, that's an hour and a half. You can be resting, getting ready for work. Have you ever noticed that that never applies to work? That after a little while of rest, you're like, man, I got to get back to work. Right? It never applies to work. Nobody's ever sitting back, feet up. Man, you know what? Took a day off. Might as well take five. Let's just keep back and rest. This feels really, really good. Who needs this? Right? Who needs work? Let's just stay at home. You know why? Because you tell yourself, I have to work. Why? Because I need money to survive. You know why you don't tell yourself this? Because in your soul, you don't believe you need it to survive. You don't believe you need it. And so this is why you say, you know, all right, whatever. Get there when I get there. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Who's counting, right? Nobody paying me a check. You tracking with that? But this is not so according to Scripture. It says to exhort one another daily in order that you do not grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The community strengthens you. But not only does it strengthen you, but it also brings you joy. In verse 44, it says, and all who were uh, all who believed and were together had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and, and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And the Lord, I'm sorry, and, and it continues, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. As they were together, their food was received with glad in generous hearts, glad hearts, they enjoyed their fellowship at the table. Glad hearts. John and Paul both write, and in their writings, John and his epistles, but also in Paul and his epistles, they write oftentimes, these things I'm writing to you, but I look forward to seeing you face to face. John goes as far as saying, I look forward to seeing you face to face that my joy may be full. So in other words, I'm writing and I'm getting some encouragement and you writing and I'm, I'm reading everything that God is doing in your life and that's encouraging to me. But when I get together with you, that's when fullness of joy happens. 
when I sit at the table, when I fellowship, that's when I get what I need, even when I don't realize I need it. Are you tracking with that? So, yeah, I, I'm, good with, I'm good with tweeting you. I'm good with texting you. I'm good with, you know, checking on you and Facebook Messenger on post and all that good stuff. But when I get together with you, then my joy is full. Your book actually talks about this, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And they asked uh, um, a psychologist, why do you believe that's the case? And the psychologist says, because you cannot communicate personality through Facebook. Twitter, social media, text. You can't, there's things that go missing that God has gifted us to be able to commute, God has gifted us to be able to give and receive and find joy and strength in. And they can't be shared over a wire. They have to be shared face to face. You tracking with that? And so in this community, they find that, that their joy is full. In this community, they find that they are glad as they receive their food, that they are, their generosity is being boosted in this, in this community. They are attending the temple. It means they're worshiping together. They are breaking bread together, eating, dining together. And, and they're doing so day by day, Scripture says. In other words, again, that, that, that message to exhort one another day by day. They're eating together. They're worshiping together day by day. Marshall Siegel says that, uh, uh, he's an author and a contributing writer for Desiring God. He says that it says the church in Acts 2 gave themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Much should be said about each of these critical pieces in a church's ministry, but the flavor of this passage in general is one of regularity and intentionality. These disciples developed regular rhythms of living together in Jesus and for Jesus. It wasn't a two-hour routine reserved for one morning per week. It was a week-long effort to keep each other in the faith. Listen, a week-long effort to keep each other in the faith and to be a winsome witness for the world around them. Our love, for another, uh, our love for another is a lifestyle, not a weekly activity. There's no corner of our hearts or lives that God meant for us to keep from our local community of believers. It doesn't mean you have to spend every waking hour with, this, with these people. It does mean they should be tied into your life in more significant ways than what pew you sit in on Sunday. Like that first church, we need to find creative ways to live together in the everyday, incorporating the word, prayer, food, and meaningful relationships. Our big God calls us to live together in the everyday because that's where he is, and that's often where he works, end quote. And so the programs sometimes overshadow what the intent of the programs really are. The programs of groups, all right? The programs of missional community. Let me, let me, let me share my heart in terms of what, we, what we're trying to accomplish with missional communities. We are not trying to just give you another day and another hour just to fill your calendar up and fill your schedule up with days and hours. We're trying to facilitate exactly what you just heard. So what we're hoping that happens in worship and in missional community and in DNA and those elements is not that you say, oh, man, I got to go to missional community, spend that hour with those guys over there. 
but actually it, it, it launches you into fellowship with each other so that you spend time praying for one another during the week, that you spend time calling each other up during the week and say, hey, man, you want to grab lunch, or you spend time thinking about each other, or when there's an opportunity to go somewhere, you say, hey, I'm going to call my MC up and see if we all can go. It, what we're trying to launch is the opportunity for us to be community, not just another meeting. Does that make sense? So, God grants you strength to see him through your community. God grants you joy to enjoy him through your community. So, here's a question for you. Why don't we do it? Why are we so adverse to it? Why do we run so far from it? Why do we avoid the joy and the strength that community brings us for cheap, for cheap substitutes? Facebook, texting, social media, Twitter. Netflix binging, sports watching. Why do, we rec- why, do we, why, do we, why do we retreat into our corners when God is telling us that joy is here and that strength is here? I'll tell you why. It's because we can't control these things. We can't control people. We can control those other things. Even Facebook, I can control it, Right? Share what I want to share. Read what I want to read. Got thousands of friends on there, right? If I don't want to talk to any of them, I just don't talk to them. Want to talk to five of them today, I'll talk to five of them. I can control that. I can control my Netflix Netflix binging. Endless and endless amounts of mindless entertainment until I grow fatigued and tired or sleepy and just turn it off. I can control my hobbies, whatever hobbies I have that I do in isolation, right? What are your hobbies that you do in isolation? You can control that. You don't have to worry about anybody saying anything hurtful, right? You don't have to worry about anybody saying anything cross. You can control all of that space. And we can't control relationships, right? And so because we can't control them, we flee from them. Because we can't control community, we flee from community. But let me tell you something. Your control actually sabotages your ability to have full joy and full strength in Jesus Christ. Your need for control sabotages your opportunity to have full joy and full strength in Jesus. Because he built the community to give you that. He built the community to give you that. And so while we, you know, retreat to our places and our corners and hide, God has given us a place that we find everything we need there. And and let me tell you something. Does that mean that it's risk-free? Of course not. Of course not. Absolutely not, because you're dealing with imperfect people, including yourself. So it's not risk-free. There's going to be times we brush each other the wrong way. There's going to be times we say things that should not have been said, and we're going to have to come back and apologize. But folks, let me, let me tell you something. Old blues singer used to sing, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain, man. 
The, the reality is, is that in order to get the things that God has for you, there has to be some measure of suffering in order to get there. Nobody says, well, I don't want to argue, so I guess I'm not going to get married. I'll just leave that, leave that off, my, leave that off my, my checklist for, the, for, for a bucket list of life's goals because I'm not giving an argument. No, you realize that that's part of the joy. In order to get to the joy, there has to be some strain. There has to be some suffering. There there has to be some pain in order to get there. And so the same is related to the community of God. Don't think that there is no pain in the community. Of course there's pain. There's people there. But there is much more joy if we all engage in it collectively and together with the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. It's It's what our Lord and Savior did. Amen? He came here, and when when ministry began for Jesus, he literally brought in community. You notice that? That when his ministry began, he brought in community. He didn't spend his community, he didn't spend his ministry in isolation, but he brought in brothers. And they did life together, right? Jesus didn't say, all right. 11 o'clock on Sunday, y'all come back and meet me. We'll try this again, you know, and then give them an hour. All right, 11 o'clock on Sunday, y'all come back, and I'm going to talk to you guys about what it means, blessed are the poor in spirit. No, that's not, that's not how Jesus worked, right? Jesus walked with these men. These men walked with Jesus. They ate together. They dined together. They prayed together. They spent life together. That's the end game. That's the goal, to walk like our Savior, He imitated to us, or he rather, he left the example that we are to imitate. Does that make sense? That he came incarnate, and the reason that he came incarnate was to give us an example. And he gave us the the example that he expects us to imitate, or at least pursue. He expects us to pursue it. He died to create it. You notice he never said that he died for a person. He says that he died for a person. And I get it. I get it, guys. I know he's a personal Jesus, and I know you got to know him for yourself, and I understand all of the cliches that we normally spit out. But let me share something with you. He didn't just die for you. He died to bring you into a collective group of people that will shine forth his light. For his glory and for your eternal joy and your eternal good. So may we pursue it. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you and give you praise, glory, and honor for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Father, we ask that you would help us grow in this understanding that we are to love each other in community, community, that we are to walk together in community. And Father, may we receive the joy, may we receive the strength, may we receive the abundance of your presence as we grow and grow more and more in our sight, in our vision to see community for what it really is. We love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.